you've never sinned. And they always say, I've never sinned. I always think, well, boom, you just did. You lied. But they don't get that. You have sinned by choice. I think everybody here would probably at least admit that. You're also a sinner by just being in this world. You're born into sin, the Bible says. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. We are just born into this sinful world. So therefore, since this world is sinful, it's just sinful. It's really interesting. If you go out and study out the Old Testament, they had to do daily sacrifices in the temple. And one of the reasons they had to do daily sacrifices in the temple, the Bible said, is because the temple, even though it was holy, it was the presence of God, the temple was constantly surrounded by sinners. Sinners worked at the temple. Sinners walked through the temple. Sinners did stuff. So they had to offer sacrifices daily, the Bible says, just because the temple was surrounded by sin. And lastly, you've inherited sin fair and square. When I had my boys... They were a sinner because their dad's a sinner. And their dad was a sinner because my dad was a sinner, because my grandpa was a sinner. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. You sin by choice. You sin because you're just in this world. And you sin because it's in our nature to sin. That we have to establish that fact right here, right now. Because if we don't get that, you're going to stop and say, okay, yeah, the death of Jesus, That's I get it, it's important. Save me from my sins and everything. Guys, we're on a one-way ticket to hell. That's what we have to establish tonight. And this is the seriousness, the soberness of what we're going to talk about tonight. And so, Jesus came to take care of this problem. We don't have a lot of verses we're going to tonight, but we are going to be jumping around throughout the Bible, so follow along with me. First one I want to go to is in Luke 9, Luke 9, to kind of set the tone here a little bit. Luke 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him, meaning Jesus... To be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. To be received up, to go to the cross. So the time came when it was time for him to head to Jerusalem, to be received up, to be sacrificed, to be on the cross. What did he do? He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Steadfastly. This is one of those interesting words where almost nearly every translation translates it differently. Steadfastly, New King James. He resolutely... He set his face. He fixed. Jesus got tunnel vision. I'm going up to Jerusalem and nothing is going to stop me. Because I have to go take care of the sins of the world. He knew what his purpose was. He knew what his calling was. Jump ahead one book to the right. John 12, please. But keep that in the back of your mind. That word. Fixed. Steadfastly. Resolutely. He set Keep that word in the back of your mind. We're coming back to that. So in John 12, we see this. John 12. Take a look here at verse 23. Jesus knew what his calling was. Jesus answered them saying, John 12, 23, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come. It's time. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Guys, I got to die. Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is one of the greatest statements in the Bible. If you really want to live, you've got to die first. You got to. Galatians, when Paul's talking, he uses the word crucified three times. You have to be crucified. You have to say, I die to who I am. Die to what I consider my wants, my will, my leading, my guidance, my direction. I tell you, almost all the counseling I do involves somebody who just flat out just doesn't want to die. They want to live for themselves. Jesus is saying, if you really want to live, you've got to die first. And realize it's all about the Lord. 
And I just see such a selfishness in us, myself. I don't want to die. The Lord's saying, you got to die first. Verse 25, let's repeat it. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So if you want to follow Christ, you got to serve him. Serve him by what? By living the life he did. What life did he live? He was willing to die. See, I think a lot of times we want this easy, comfortable Christianity, which is God just loves you. And he's got a wonderful plan for your life, and he just wants you to be happy. No, he wants you to die first. And then go live for him. And Jesus says, verse 27, Now my soul's troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus knew his calling. Jesus stops and says, what should I say? God, don't. Don't. Don't don't put me on the cross. No. For this reason, for this purpose, I came to this hour. So verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus is saying, I am here and I'm here to die. But this is where it gets interesting, guys. Take a look at verse 27. My soul is troubled. Perfect God, perfect man, all at the same time. My soul is troubled. My soul is agitated. My soul is distressed. Here's the thing, folks. If you really want to live for the Lord, that means you got to die first. And guess what? That's really going to agitate you. It's really going to trouble you. It's really going to distress you. And right here, right now, the Lord's already speaking to your heart on what you're supposed to let go of. You know what's going on in your life that is not glorifying to the Lord. You know what's going on in your life that is not furthering the kingdom. You know what you're holding back on. And Jesus can relate to it because verse 27, my soul is troubled. That's why we always say, take it to the Lord. Well, what does he know? He knows what it's like to have his soul troubled. He knows what it's like to be agitated, distressed, to be bothered, to stop and say, I know God's perfect will for my life, and it actually distresses me. So you're going to battle yourself on giving up your life to the Lord. And guess what else you're going to battle? Can you go with me to Matthew now? Matthew 16. You're going to battle yourself... But then you're going to battle other people. Take a look here at Matthew 16. Start in Matthew 16. Let's start in verse 13. Jesus having a wonderful conversation with his disciples. Verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah. Or, or one of the prophets. So he starts out pretty broad. Who do people think I am, guys? You've been walking with me now for a couple of years. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me walk on water. You've seen me feed the 5,000. You've seen me feed the 4,000. You've seen many miracles. The blind can see. Lepers are healed. The, the deaf can hear. You know, you've seen it. Who are men? Well, maybe John the Baptist. Maybe Elijah. But look at verse 15. But who do you say that I am? I tell you guys, that's the only question that matters in this world. We spend so much time and energy worrying about what we're going to do for a living. What, where we're going to live. Who am I going to marry? What job am I going to have? The only thing that really matters is who do you say that Jesus Christ is? That is the only question that matters. 
Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good job, Peter. You nailed that one. And actually, that answer was so good, Peter. God says, I know it didn't come from you because you're not smart enough. Verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is who is in heaven. Great answer, Peter. Now, verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. That's a great evangelism verse right there. I'm the Savior, but please don't tell anybody. Why? Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Okay, now we're starting to tie all these verses in together. Luke 9.51, I set my eyes on Jerusalem. I'm steadfastly, I'm focused, I have to go. Verse 21 of Matthew 16, I must go to Jerusalem. And what must happen? And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. It has to happen. It has to. If Jesus does not die for our sins, we have no salvation. We have to have a Good Friday, an excellent Wednesday. We have to. There has to be a death. This is an ongoing biblical theme. You've heard me mention this before. Go back to the first sin mentioned in the Bible, back in Genesis chapter 3. And what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve's sin and the way God took care of it was what? Animals died to provide coverings for them. They were walking around naked. They sinned, they realize they're naked, they try to make their own clothes out of leaves. That doesn't work. Somebody has to die. And so the first death happens because of sin. So whatever cute little animals had to give up their fur, gave up their fur, and Adam and Eve had to be covered. You can see the symbolism here. Sin happens, death happens, they must be covered. Okay, so that's all the way back in Genesis 3. Fast forward now to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, what you have now is you have uh, the Day of Atonement. Excuse me, not the Day of Atonement. You have the Passover, which is what we're celebrating. Jesus is our Passover lamb. So what happened in the Passover in the book of Exodus is there was a lamb for each family. This lamb comes in. This lamb is slaughtered. This lamb is killed. You take blood. You go on the doorpost of your house. And that blood saved you. Note the progression. You had an animal for each person in Genesis 3. In Exodus, now you have an animal for each family. Now fast forward to the law. You have the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And what happens there now is you have one sacrifice for the nation of Israel to cover the year. Okay, fast forward again to Jesus on the cross. Now you have one sacrifice to cover the sins of the world forever. Nothing has changed. God has said, if there's sin, there will be death, unless that death is covered by blood. That is the fact. And so every day when you sin and I sin, the blood of Jesus covers our sins. That's what we're here to grasp and get and understand. And the problem is, I think we're just so used to it. So Jesus is saying in verse 21, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to suffer many things. I must be killed and I must be raised the third day. Now, remember verse 20. Jesus said, don't tell anybody I'm the Savior. Why did Jesus say, don't tell anybody I'm the Savior? Because maybe because of verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it for you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Can you imagine the gumption it would take for Peter to rebuke God? I just, just envision this. Jesus is telling everybody, I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to die. I got to do this. And don't you just see Peter saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, come here for a second. Just come here. Puts his arm around Jesus, walks him over to the side. But what does it say? 
He turned and said to Peter, it says in the Gospels, in the book of Mark, that he said to Peter, looking at the other disciples, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What are the things of men in verse 23? Don't tell me I'm a sinner that needs saved. Don't. And this is what we do then in Christianity. The idea of the cross and death and blood and hell. No. Make our evangelism. God just loves you. And he just cares for you. And he just wants to bless you. And he just wants wonderful things for your life. Okay. That sounds good. What about the whole idea of the cross and death? And oh, don't, don't worry about that. God just loves you. To get the full gospel message, you have to present hell and sin and death. Because if you don't present hell, sin, and death, what did Jesus do on the cross? What did he save us from? Jesus did not die on the cross to make me happy, wealthy, and wise. He died on the cross because I was going to hell, and my sins could not be taken care of by any other manner other than the God's blood. And so, therefore, that's the things of men. Ignore the cross, ignore the blood, ignore it all. The things of God are, no, we need to deal with this right here, right now. So put this all together now, because I've got two more verses, then we're going to tie this up. Jesus steadfastly was going to go to Jerusalem. It was his calling, John 12. He was going to let nothing stop him, not even man. Why? Go with me to Isaiah 50, please. Isaiah 50. If you're looking for some deep study, Isaiah is the book for you. Long book, 66 chapters. It covers everything. You've got history in there. You've got prophecy in there. You've got messianic chapters. Wonderful book. Isaiah 50 is a messianic chapter. So when you read through Isaiah 50, you are reading about Jesus. You're reading about the Messiah. Now, at that time when Isaiah is writing this... He doesn't realize he's writing about Jesus, but he knows he's writing about the Messiah. So when you read through Isaiah 50, you are reading the words of the Messiah. So you get a glimpse into what was going through Jesus' mind. What would be going through your mind when you know your sole purpose is to die? Your sole purpose is to take care of sins. Your sole purpose is to go do this. Isaiah 50. Let's start in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. So what do you see right there? You see the nature of Jesus, verse 4. I want to speak a word in season to those that are weary. He does. He wants to help us. He wants to be there. He wants to bless us. He does want to do those things. Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. He wasn't rebellious to his calling. We already established that in John chapter 12. Look how straightforward verse 6 is. I gave my back to those who struck me. And my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. He knew what he was getting into. Now, I don't want to go deep on this stuff to just go for the factor of, of trying to shock people, but we have to talk about this. Verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me. Before Jesus went to the cross, they, they lashed him, 39 lashes. And what this would have been would have been a whip made out of leather with numerous ends. So it's one whip that goes out to numerous pieces. And at the end of the piece, you either have pieces of bone or pieces of metal, and they would have been a little jagged. 
And so what they would do is to punish people is they would whip you and they would do it 39 times. And they would start at the top and go down to the bottom. So they start on your upper shoulders and they go down. And so what happens is your back ends up just being just completely welted. And eventually your skin just breaks. And after 39 times, your back is laid open. History tells us your back is laid open to see bones, to see everything. It is just completely awful and it's completely horrible. And what do you see in Isaiah 50? You see in verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me. He willingly did this. My cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. We had some foster boys here just a couple months ago. And uh, Ash, anytime I wore anything that had a uh, sweater, I mean a zipper, he would just love to zip, 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 zip. One time he zipped my beard in it. And that hurt. (laughs) That hurt bad. I have never had my beard plucked out. That's a whole different ballgame. Whole different ballgame. Hide my face from shame and spitting. This is God. This is God that's taking everything that we deserve. Why did he do it? Verse 7. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. Did you catch that in verse 7? I have set my face like flint. If you take the Hebrew word and use it as it is just used in Luke 9, New Testament's Greek, Old Testament's Hebrew, but if you take the Hebrew word here, it's the exact same word that we just read in Luke 9. My, my face is like flint. I'm set on my task. So from the Old Testament prophecy, the Messiah is not going to turn aside from this. I will give my back willingly to them. I will be ashamed in the sense of shaming me, not he is ashamed. I will be spit on. I will be beat. My cheeks will be plucked out. I will go through all of this. All of this. Why would he do this? Last passage. Hebrews 12, please. Why would he be so willing to do this? Hebrews 12. Let's go and start in verse 1. Therefore, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's stop right there for a second. We're going to finish with communion. And what you're going to do at communion is you're going to lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and you're going to run with endurance the race that is set before you. You came in here tonight, and you are struggling with things. You're battling things. Some of it is stuff that is easily seen. Some of it is stuff that is internal that no one else sees. Some of it is something that you have been battling for decades. Some of it is something that's come up recently. Some of it is some things that you think there is no hope, there's no way I can get past this. I don't know. But you're going to come at communion and you're going to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares you. That's what you're going to do. Psalm 139 goes one step further. It says, search me, O Lord, and try me. See if there's any iniquity in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We're going to have a moment of prayer here in a little bit where you're going to stop and say, Lord, search me. What are the things that are bringing me down? You went to the cross for me. You died for me because I'm a sinner. And these sins need to be taken care of. What does it look like? Let's just ask ourselves some really honest questions right now. How is your walk with the Lord going? 
You know, Paul says we're supposed to examine ourselves when we do communion. Paul says later on in Corinthians, he says, test yourself. He says, see if you're even a Christian unless you've become disqualified. See, nowadays, if we say those type of verses, you know, that's not really the best way to make your church grow numerically. But Paul said, we've got to ask these questions. If you're here tonight, I have a responsibility to ask you, are you saved? Number two, if you are saved, what are you doing with that? How is your walk look? I'm not saying this to be mean, to be nasty. I'm saying this because 2,000 years ago, God himself in the form of a man was beaten and spit upon and thrown on a cross to take away your sins and my sins, not so that we can just get up the next day and live like it never happened, but because it's supposed to change the world. Change the world. We were doing devotions today at home. And one of the boys was asking, because we always use the term Resurrection Sunday. That's what we call it. We don't call it Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday. So one of the boys asked, saying, well, why don't we call it Easter? So we talked about what the word Easter means. And one of the other boys said, how in the world did Jesus' death and resurrection get associated with a bunny that lays eggs? I I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. Most people here... In America, it's kind of fascinating. This is a pretty religious week. People will get time off. Maybe it's Friday for Good Friday. Easter Mondays kind of become somewhat of a holiday. Schools plan their spring breaks. Not around Easter, but just around this date that happens to change every year. That seems to be associated with Easter. But what do we do to celebrate it? And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. Let's just say, let's be honest. We get new clothes for our kids. So they can look good on Sunday. We get together with friends and family and have a meal. Why? Because that's just what we do. It's amazing how the most important day in the history of the world, and that is not an exaggeration, has become so desensitized. And it really is something so absolutely amazing that we're supposed to stop and say, this is supposed to make me think about my life, lay aside the sin that ensnares me, the weight. I'm supposed to do this. And I haven't even still got to why Jesus did it yet. Because why did he do it? Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For the joy that was set before him. Do you realize what that joy is? Spending eternity with you. That's why he did it. That is why he did it. What was on Christ's mind? As he's going to the cross, the joy that was set before him is eternity with us. And he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I firmly believe that when we go out and present the gospel to people, that it really has to be some type of spiritual blindness, because who would not want that? Who would not, when they fully grasp and understand, heaven, hell, sin, I'm going to hell, God in the form of a man, dying on the cross for my sins. This is why I did it. For the joy that was set before us. Now, here's the problem. If you're here tonight, this isn't your first Resurrection Sunday. This isn't your first Good Friday. This isn't your first time here. We've heard it all the time. Never let this become normal to you. Never let this become something that's just, this is what we do. This is utterly life changing when you stop and you think about what this means and what this represents 
And I hope it's so utterly life-changing that you hear this and you stop and say, I want verse 1. I want to lay aside the weight. I want to lay aside the sin which has ensnared me, entrapped me, entangled me. And I want to get out there and run for the Lord. I really want that. Because the truth is, until you learn to die first, you can't live yet. And people want this Christianity of, I'm saved, but I still get to make all my choices. That's not what it is. Jesus set the example of, I give it all to you. That's what he set the example is, I give it all to you. And that's what we want to offer you tonight. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to stop and say, I am a sinner. I have done wrong. What in the world am I going to do now when I die? Because you're not good enough for eternity. You're not good enough for heaven. I can make that perfectly clear. I'm not. That's why it took God to fix your sin problem for you. And that's what we're here tonight to celebrate. And do you believe that? Do you want that? Do you accept that? If you're here tonight and you are saved, tonight's the night to say, am I running with endurance? Or has things come up and ensnared me and entangled me and kept me from running the way I'm supposed to run? Jesus did not go to the cross, have his back laid open, his beard ripped out, been spit upon and beat, just so you could go ahead and live a life the way you want to. He did it because he said, I want things to be different for you. Now the question is, do you want things to be different for you? Now what we're going to do here at this time is we're going to have the kids come in. And I just want to remind parents here, We have out here at church an open communion policy, meaning we don't have church membership. If you're here, we're glad you're here. You're part of the church tonight. Thanks for coming. And your kids are going to come sit with you, and we leave it up to you parents to make sure that you're old enough to know and understand uh, if your child is able to grasp communion and be a part of it. But I think it is so important at this time right now, so important at this time. Can Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians, please? Let's go to um, 1 Corinthians 11. We really focus on verses 23 through 26 for communion. You, You see the verses there. You've heard them read before. But look at verse 27, please. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself. Let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened, we are disciplined by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Guys, there's supposed to be a time of self-examination that happens before we partake of communion. There's supposed to be a time where we look at ourselves and say, Lord, search me and try me. Now, this is not a time of condemnation. Romans 8 makes it clear there's no condemnation that are in Christ. There's none. But there's another term the Bible uses that's called conviction. And that term means the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart saying, we can do better. We can do better. 
And I'm just asking you right now, can you do better? What areas do you need to work on? What areas are weak? What areas are past weak? You're so entangled in sin that it's not a matter of being weak. You can't even get up. This is the time to take those things to the Lord. This is the time to stop and say, Lord, I don't want to continue the way I am. This is the time to do that. We spend all of our lives trying to look good in front of other people. We realize that looks don't matter. Only thing that matters is Jesus, etc. And we still spend as much time as anybody else making sure we look okay before we go on public. And what has happened is that becomes a spiritual thing as well, too. Uh, you know, you, you can't see what I really struggle with. We're not honest about it. And I'm just telling you, there's supposed to be an honesty with this where you really stop and say, Lord, I'm a mess. And Lord, I need you. And that's what we're here to do. So what I want to do is this. The Lord's really just laying it on my heart here right now that we're going to definitely offer you guys communion. I mean, that's what we're here to do. But I just really think there's people that need prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to be available to pray with people. And I believe there's some people here tonight that has sin that has easily entangled them and ensnared them. I believe there's people here tonight that look at themselves and you do love the Lord. There's no doubt about it. it. You love him. But you're also not where you're supposed to be spiritually. And you want things to be different in your life and in your marriage. And I just want to be available to pray with you. And so as I'm going to be doing this, um, Jonathan, can you come up? Jonathan's actually going to lead you in communion. This is what you get for making fun of me, or message. I will call you up and have you lead communion. That amen's not so funny now, is it? Yeah. That's still funny. Yeah. So I'm going to let Jonathan take over the communion part, because I really feel that my purpose right now is I just want to be over here, and I just want to pray with people. And guys, I, I, I really want to pray with you, because I really do believe that there's more for us Not some legalistic have to, not some forced, it's just, Lord, I want more of you. And if that's what you want, I want you to come up and I want you to pray with me and pray with whoever else comes up. Communion is still going to be passed out. Now, here's the deal when we do something like this. Some of you right now are thinking, I'd really like to go up there for prayer. But that would mean getting up. That would mean walking in front of other people. That would mean as I'm getting up and walking in front of them, they're going to wonder, oh my, what are they struggling with? I would sure hope that their heart and mind is so focused on Jesus Christ and communion, they're not even worrying about who's standing up or not. And if they do notice you coming up, I would hope and stop and say that that's a brother or a sister that's asking for prayer. And I don't need to know the details, but I'm willing to pray for them. Because the truth is, we all have stuff that we need to work on. And so communion will be passed out. You know, Bob, if you want to bring up the guys that are going to be helping out with that worship team, if you want to come forward, that are going to be helping out with that. And I'm not trying to take you away from communion, but if there's something you want to pray about, I'm just going to be over here, and I want to pray with you. Jonathan will do communion with you, and I believe, um, Marv, you got a song to close us out with then, too? Okay. Okay. Let the Lord lead on that. Let this just go the way the Lord wants this to go. Let this be a time to really let the Lord move and work in your life and whatever that looks like. Jonathan will let the Lord lead. 
They'll let the timing go here, what this is. The worship team knows what to do. The Spirit's going to speak to them. I want this to be a time, a time where we just sit and say, Lord, do we really mean this? Do we really believe this? Because the truth is we know this. I'm willing to bet most of you here tonight this is nothing new. We know it, but we want to live it. That's what makes the difference here. So let's pray for this. Lord, in the name of Jesus, as we just get ready to partake of just your supper, it says the Lord's Supper, communion, you want this to be a part of our lives. You want us to know more, to be deeper, to go deeper in you. And we want that. But there's sin that so easily entangles us and ensnares us and it brings us down. In the name of Jesus, help us. We battle this so bad. But Lord, you died so that we could live. And Lord, you set the tone for us by saying, by saying if we're willing to lose our life, then we can finally live. We want to lose our lives tonight and just start living for you. Whatever that looks like for us as individuals, we want to be ready for. We want to be prayed up for. And we want you to be the God of this. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Richard, are you in here tonight?